Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. To the Motivated Mind, a top 100 health podcast, thanks to each of you. This is episode 389, and I'm your host, Scott Lynch. If I brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review, hit that subscribe or follow button, and please be sure to share the podcast. Thanks for making the Motivated Mind part of your story. Today, we have another special guest that joins the pod, Chef Jesus Diaz. He is a Venezuelan celebrity chef and TV personality who specializes in creating impeccable food with a fusion of Latin American and Asian flavors. He's the author of the book, Delicious Cooking with Chef Jesus, winner of two Emmy Awards and chef on the morning program, Despierta America. In 2012, Jesus Jesus went on to open his own restaurant in Miami called Akura Sushi Lounge, which he had for six years until eventually selling it. When Jesus started as a chef on Despierta America in 2017, his on-screen career was born, and he became the beloved chef and TV celebrity he is today. Additionally, in 2021, Jesus competed in Dancing with the Stars Latin America, and he won. In Jesus' new show, which aired on VIX on October 12th, 2023, that basically translates to How Delicious the Taste of America, he visits 13 American cities, highlighting success stories from fellow immigrants and their restaurant ventures. Jesus and I dive into his upbringing in Venezuela during childhood and how it ignited his creativity early on, harnessing the impact of purposefully cultivating white space, the driving force that led Jesus to America and paved the way for his success, his humble beginnings as a dishwasher at IHOP, how Jesus's openness and inquisitiveness accelerated his learning and propelled his success, and also the mindset of gratitude that shaped Jesus into not just a great leader, but also a thinker of abundance. And finally, Jesus's readiness to step into the trenches and lead with a mindset of acceptance of what is. I hope you all enjoy our conversation. Having spent over a decade in the cannabis industry, I've witnessed many consumers, myself included, grappling with the overwhelming abundance of options and information available, especially when it comes to navigating the thousands of cannabis strains. It's like navigating a maze. And driven by this challenge, my team and I embarked on a journey four years ago to change this narrative. Our goal was to provide consumers with the data and education necessary to make informed decisions, enhance their cannabis experience, and ultimately improve their lives. Today, I'm grateful and happy to announce that we've launched Hashdash, the world's first personalized cannabis matching platform that leverages over 637,000 cannabis strain data points to match you 
with your favorite cannabis that aligns with your unique preferences. Our platform centers around three key pillars, matching, community, and education. All three are aligned with our mission of empowering cannabis enthusiasts and newcomers alike, transforming confusion into clarity in the vast world of cannabis consumption. Say goodbye to the guesswork. Discover, learn, and elevate your cannabis experience with Hashdash. Sign up for free at Hashdash.com and find your cannabis match. That's H-A-S-H-D-A-S-H dot com. So I want to start with this life growing up in Venezuela, right? What was that like for you? What was childhood like for you? Man, I mean, it was it was great to me. Growing up in Venezuela was 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 amazing. Not only because of the because of the, the place that, that I grew up in, you know, but I also had my family, my 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 brother, my sister. Uh, I think it was a time where you had you have a lot of more time. Where I guess you know, as a kid time you take advantage of the time a little more it's not so stressful i guess no and i guess that goes with responsibilities obviously it it was it was great not having you know all this gadgets and 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 cell phones and tablets and all this digital options that we have nowadays i mean for me it was just asking for more time to be outside you know to be playing with my friends and being on the street Um, i was always very into sports and and I always wanted to be playing different kinds of sports with my friends. It was amazing. I mean, we we Venezuela has to me the perfect weather, the perfect geographics, you know, you will go to the beach, you have access to the beach, you had access to the mountains, you had access to, you know, everything outdoors, you know, that you wanted it to to enjoy. It's a small country, but it has a little bit of everything. And you know, my parents were always present. I had a, a big family, a lot of cousins, a lot of uh, people of my age. So uh, my childhood was, to me, was perfect, you know. And, and nowadays I compare it to the childhood, I mean, that, you know, that, that, that kids have nowadays. And I kind of feel bad for them that they don't, they, they almost have no chance to experience all these things that I had to experience just because they have other options. And it's their choice, but... um. I think simple was better for, for growing up as a kid to have less options and less information and less access to many other things makes it better. So that's that's how I see my childhood. You know, I, I had the time to play. I had the, the spaces to go out and experience uh, the friends to, to do so. And that's why I think it was so special. Mm. There's something beautiful. You said a lot of great things there. But one one thing that really hit me is that not having devices, right, or electronics. And technology can be a great thing. I've said this, right? Anything could be used for good or bad. But my mother-in-law, she's an OT, so she works with early childhood development. And one of the things I've talked to her quite extensively about is that technology removes the need, in some cases, to be creative, 
because you have to use your imagination when you're a kid. And you were just saying, you know, being outside, playing sports, playing with your friends, running around, doing all those things. There wasn't a system, something visual there to create that environment. You had to imagine where you were or where you were traveling, metaphorically speaking. And so it sounds like as a kid, that was something you did a lot of was this like creativity and this building in your mind. Yes. And, and, and to me now, as, as a grown up, to me, being bored was actually something good, you know, to be bored and having nothing to do is something good. And, and it's, I would love to teach this to my, my two girls where they, they every time they say I'm bored, we always have to find something to do or they do find that, you know, find it themselves. But, but to me, being bored and having 15, 20, 30 minutes with, with not knowing what to do, not, not having a toy, not having a friend next to me, it was actually good. And I give you an example. I love baseball, right? And I played baseball since I was seven. One of my pastimes when I was alone at home was to find rocks and to find something similar to a baseball bat. And I would fix it myself to make it look like a bat. You know, the size, I would cut it and I would put tape around the area where you grab it. And I will find a bucket and fill it up with rocks. And I will find a space. It was usually uh, the roof of my house where I, I had access to the roof and we, we, we lived in an open area. And I remember getting all these rocks together and going into the roof of my house and imagining that I was in, in, in the middle of a baseball game, you know, and I, I will create uh, situations where I was the hitter, you know, and I needed to hit this rock and, 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 and bring that run home, you know, that runner home and, and, and make it look like, I, you know, I had fans around me, you know, people screaming, you know, my name. And, and I was, I will create that moment for me. And I was hit this rock, every rock I, I hit, it was part of the game, part of the situation. And I was, I will make up this, this scenario where I was, uh, I will, I will spend easy an hour or more just hitting the rocks on top of the roof of my house. To me, that was very special. And that was because I was bored. And, and at some point, I had no video games or someone to play with. And, and to me, it's, today, I, I, this is so special to me that, that, that I was able to leave that moment. Yeah, you created this beautiful white space for yourself, right? We are, we are so overstimulated nowadays that if we feel anxious, if we feel bored, what do we do? We grab our cell phone, our tablet, the TV, an electronic to kind of stimulate and dull us down. And one of the most dangerous things there is that it suppresses our creativity. It suppresses our thinking. It suppresses our emotions. And then we become disconnected from our self, our internal self. And there's a lot of discovery and an interest when you could spend the time with yourself, right? Doing those creative things. And here you are 20, 30, whatever years later, and you still vividly remember grabbing the stick, taping it, putting the rocks in the bucket, standing up on the roof, hitting it, calling people like that's still embedded in your mind. And it's still, it's putting a smile on your face. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. I really think it was a special moment. So you have all these special childhood memories and experiences that you had in Venezuela. What was the, the impetus in 2000 to, to migrate to the United States? Well, I was a, a baseball player growing up. I had the, the, the opportunity to travel here to the U.S. for different tournaments since I was 11 years old. And I always admire the way that everything here in this country was so 
organized, you know, organized and clean and, and, and almost perfect comparing to Venezuela where you will play in a field, you know, all messed up where the conditions weren't the best. And you will come here and play in this baseball field. So it feels like you were playing on a, on a rug, like it was perfectly, uh, the grass was perfectly cut and the lines were perfectly aligned and you had two, three uniforms per, per team and there was a mascot and, and you had the mascot on your name and while in Venezuela, you had, I had my uniform since I was seven up until I was 12, it was the same uniform. Uh, you didn't count with all those things that I think uh, inspire you to play and, and inspire you to sometimes to be better. So I always wanted to come to the U.S. and play either high school or, or college. Uh, obviously, I wanted to be a, base, a pro baseball player, a professional baseball player, and, and have a team sign me. But I, I also knew that there were other options. In Venezuela, you either sign as a professional or you're pretty much nothing. You become probably a coach or, or you open your own academy and teach kids, which is not bad at all. But, you know, here you had many more possibilities. So when I was 17 years old, my, my brother decided, my brother is seven, eight years older than me. And he had the opportunity to come and work here for a company. And I said, this is, this is my opportunity. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with my brother. I'm going to stay. I kept coming every summer since I was 11, but I never, you know, was able to make the decision and stay by myself. So that, that year was, was the, my moment and my opportunity to stay. I told my parents, I came during the summer and I told them, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to find a high school. I'm going to stay playing here. I'm try to find maybe a scholarship or play pro. And that's what I did. Well, that's what I did. I played two years of high school. I got a scholarship to play in West Palm Beach uh, Community College. And then after college, that's when I told my parents, you know, I'm, I'm staying. I got used to this. You know, I, I like it here. Venezuela got started getting a little rough politically. And also, I think that's what made my parents make the decision of also coming because I, I'm the, the youngest of three. And obviously, they wanted to be with the, you know, their younger kid and support me and stay here. And they also saw that there were many other possibilities here for us. That's how I came to the U.S. Pretty much baseball brought me to the U.S. pretty much. And where did this love or excitement around baseball coming from? Was it watching a team in person play in Venezuela? Was it on the TV? Was it in a magazine? Like, where did that excitement or magnet to baseball really start for you? It was a combination of all that. My dad loved baseball also and when i was seven years old he put me to play in a team and from that day on i just i just wanted to play it was everything was around baseball you know everything we'll watch at home was baseball games my video games were all about baseball when i had the opportunity to have a video game <laughs> and my friends were all from my baseball team so everything was around baseball and i loved it so i i kept playing practicing and that's what i wanted to do for the rest of my life and that's what I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life. Sure. It's always fascinating to me. Anytime I run in or talk to or interview someone successful, and obviously everybody measures that a little differently, there's always an obsession that they have, right? And normally that obsession is on their craft, what they're doing today. And obviously your craft is is not baseball today, but as a child, 
you were obsessed with baseball. Every opportunity that you got, you were talking about it, playing it on the TV or playing it in real life, reading about it, watching it, right? And that's a really good recipe amongst, of course, other things like hard work and determination and refining your skills and all those other things. That's a really good ingredient, which I think is a great analogy for you, in order to become something great in this thing that you want to become great in. So for you, it was baseball. Now, where and how did the transition from baseball to the world of culinary happen? Because in some of my research, you worked at IHOP for uh, shortly after your, your baseball career, and that was kind of the inlet. But where, again, what was that impetus of transitioning from baseball to kind of the, the restaurant cooking world? Right. So obviously, as an immigrant, as soon as I got to the U.S., I needed to find a job. And I know I was 17 years old, but um, my parents didn't have money to send. And, and obviously, U.S. being much more expensive than living in Venezuela, and they were making, you know, bolivares, which is our coin, and, and, and having to send money in dollars to the U.S. was impossible. So my brother and I had to work since the beginning. My first job was at an IHOP. So that was my first job at 17 years old as a dishwasher, not knowing the language and also having the need to cook for myself because mom was not around anymore. So it was the combination of my first job with having to cook my own meals that got me or pushed me into the kitchen pretty much. So at that job at IHOP, I spent four or five years going through every position. You know, I was a server when I got to learn the language and, and learn the menu. And then being being a cook at an IHOP was, you know, the, pretty much the best position where you will get paid better. And so I decided to go into the kitchen. And I learned everything from that business pretty much. I had the opportunity to be almost like the manager of the store. And it, it's very corporate, right? You know, they, they, they go by all this rules and, and measurements and everything is almost prepped for to come out always the same way. And that taught me a lot about the business. And then, and this, it was while, while playing baseball because I needed to obviously, you know, make money. I went to the college uh, an hour and an hour and a half, almost two hours away from Miami from that job, but I will come back on the weekends, work the weekend and then go back to school. The, the scholarship was not a full ride because as a, as an international student, the school or the, or the coach needs to pay triple the, the value of what they will pay for a, a player that was born in the U.S. So covered my, my school, but then the dorms and the food, I had to pay myself and all this. So I did need to work. After IHOP, I worked at a, a, a couple of companies that do distribution for restaurants and hotels in food, in the food industry. But we will sell, or I was a sales rep where I will sell pretty much everything that you need for a, for a restaurant. Paper goods, food, equipment. I had access to the real value of things and the margins. And the cost of that for us and then going to our clients, which will be the business owner or the chef. All that information, you know, I, I had. And at some point I said, you know, I have to have my own business. You know, I want to have my own restaurant. I fell in love with Asian cuisine and, and I had very, uh, I had a lot of clients and, and chefs that were, were owners of a Japanese restaurant, sushi place. And I, I also liked that type of cuisine because coming from a hot kitchen where there's a lot of stress and everything is rushed 
and you're in the back of the, of the business, just you know, making sure that everything comes out in in time. When when I learned about this Asian cuisine, where they're in front of the house, you know, they have their sushi bar and they're so clean, and and, and they have you know everything by steps and stations, and you get to enjoy and see the face of the customer. I said, this is the type of cuisine that I want to do, and I started learning about uh, Japanese cuisine and sushi. So that's why when I decided that I wanted to have Japanese or sushi restaurant combined with Peruvian cuisine, which is called Nikkei. You know, when you combine Peruvian with Japanese, it's called Nikkei. I really love the taste of Peruvian food because of their sauces and, uh, you know, all the ingredients that they have and that they use. So I thought it was a perfect combination. And in 2012, I decided to open my own restaurant. Most of you probably know how much I love Notion, the sponsor of today's episode. Notion is the epicenter of my content machine. I've released 389 episodes with another 140 episode ideas in my backlog, and I'm constantly funneling ideas, notes, and inspiration into Notion. Notion AI helps me jumpstart a brainstorm and turn my messy notes into something polished, which means I'm freed up to do the deep work. Notion combines your notes, docs, and projects into one space that's simple and beautifully designed. And the fully integrated Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger, doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. Try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash motivated. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash motivated to try the powerful, easy to use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show, Notion.com slash motivated. You've used this term a couple times when you were describing the baseball fields in the United States. You said lines clean and you were talking about the cuisine. It's very clean, tight. You pay attention to the details and I and I really love that and appreciate that. I myself am, am very similar in that regard. Um, I noticed the, the smallest things being off or when I'm in public and my wife's like, what the hell? How, how did you, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes. Where does that come from for you? Cause you're very focused on the details. I love that. And it's probably again, an ingredient that I'm starting to put together your ingredient card through this conversation of, of why you are successful and who you are today. I think it comes from my, from my parents. You know, my dad is very methodic. My dad was always very organized. He's, he's the man that, you know, he will, he will arrange or, or, or have his clothes from the night before, before he goes to work the, the, the next day. Little, little things like that. He will, will always be so organized. And, and my mom too, but, but I, I think it comes more from my dad, you know, that, that I always wanted to be, in that sense, maybe uh, prepared, you know, in, in advance. I think that comes from there where you appreciate those little details, as you said, that makes, makes, makes a huge difference at the end. I love that from that type of cuisine where you can be very creative, you know, when you make your, those dishes and you have the opportunity to, to decorate that, you know, I think that type of cuisine uh, gives you that opportunity where some other type of cuisine is just about quantity and only flavor, but then the, 
the presentation is not so important. I, I saw that in, in this type of cuisine and I loved it. I love good food. Many people love good food, right? But uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Puerto Rico. I've been down there six or seven times. My wife and I have been down there a couple of times. And for one of our companies, we have a distributor down there, not in the, the food industry. But when I first went down there, I said, best restaurants. You need to send me a list because I'm going to all of them. And one of them that I went to was called Marmalade. And I remember walking into this restaurant and every detail was perfect from the seats to the curtains, to the tables, to the silverware. And you're walking in and just already this experience has started for you. And you sit down, the head chef comes over, not even a, a, a waiter or wait staff. The head chef came over to, to welcome you into this, this restaurant. And I don't know how long we were there, a few hours. But at the end, the chef came back out to ask, how was the dish and everything? But every single dish that they brought out was this experience that just blew up in your mouth and mind and then vibrated to the environment that you were in. And you're like, this is what eating is about, at least for me, the environment and the food, the the service. And again, going back to why I say I love this detail part of you, because I'm assuming your restaurant was exactly thought through down to the smallest detail on the font, on the menu, to the silverware that you're using, to the attire of the staff, to the plates that that the food was served on. And I so appreciate that about people paying attention to those small details and those experiences. Yes, yes, I love that, and and I think it's it's what makes a difference. You know, there's so many options. I I will I will always say to my staff, you know, just the fact that they come in through that door, we have to be thankful for that. They could have been in the other restaurant across the street, and they they chose to be in our place. So to me, that was already uh, I was already in depth, you know, with with whomever will come in through that door. But yeah, details obviously. It's it's what what at the end is gonna you know differentiate what you do and what the other person or chef will do at their business. You know, it's one is what gonna leave that mark and that memory in in the person that chose to be in your place. Pretty much, mm. you're also someone that I'm hearing loves to be in the trenches of your business because when you were going back to your IHOP story. You were trying to learn every piece of the business. And a majority of people are have the mindset of, I'm just going to do my shit and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to collect a paycheck and that's that. But your mindset was very different. Like, well, hold on a sec. Yeah, I, I understand I need to be here, quote unquote, to pay for bills, et cetera. But what if I took this opportunity to learn about this industry and became curious about this industry? And that's really, I think, the propulsion for you that really took off because you were in the trenches, you were curious. And I'm sure today you're the same way with your business, being in the trenches, want to understand every intricate detail about that business, which is a really good leader and business owner. I I believe so too, yes. I, I never thought... Like, you know, why am I doing this or why me or why do I have to do this? And I think it made it easier for me at the end. You know, when you're thinking like that, obviously the hours are, are, you know, the time goes by slower and the hours are long and you're not enjoying, obviously, what you're doing. To me, it was just, you know, this is an opportunity for me to grow. You know, I'm thankful that I'm here in this country where I wanted to be. And I'm, I'm thankful that I'm doing this, that I have a job 
and that I have the opportunity also to, to, to grow. And then I confirmed that when I had my own restaurant, obviously when the dishwasher wouldn't make it, who was going to wash the dishes? Myself. But I also, I, I, I had the experience to do it. I knew what I was doing. Same thing when the, you know, the waitress wouldn't make it. Who would serve those tables? Myself. But I, I, I did it before. So I wasn't scared of, of, you know, that I was in a place where I didn't know what I was doing. I, I knew what I was doing. And, and obviously then the other job as a sales rep when I was making my orders. You know, my, my business, and obviously I would love to have another opportunity and, and, and do it a different way with, with, with better resources. But at the time, I didn't have those resources. I had only experience, very little money, very little investment. So, so I, everything depended, uh, depended on, on, on the knowledge that I had. And having that knowledge, to me, was everything. So I, I was able to, to confirm that everything that I went through was paying off. You know, I didn't have the money to have a huge staff or to just open and leave the place and, and some other people to run it for me. I had to do it myself, you know, and, and I, I was the guy who will place the orders, who will go through through the inspections to, to get the license, to open and close, clean, sometimes clean, uh, you know, the floors or even be the chef for the night because I needed some help and, and we got more people that, that I was expecting. Uh, so all those little things, you know, confirmed to me that everything that I went through was for that purpose. And everything pretty much that I went through, you know, baseball, uh, I wasn't able to make it to the major leagues, but it was what brought me to the U.S. Maybe without baseball, I would, I would be still in Venezuela and figuring it out, how to, how to get out of there, because it's, it's you know, it, it was going to be harder in the future. Uh, so it was my opportunity to come over. And then the same thing with the restaurant. I, I had it for six years. And even though it was uh, it wasn't as successful as I expected, maybe I, I wasn't able to make it a franchise <laughs> or or have more than one place. But it took me to my job nowadays, which I love, you know, to be on TV and 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 you know the kitchen is is the main the main part of what I do. I love this. You have a, a remarkable mindset too. Something that's dangerous in a good way about your mindset is that. You have this kind of mantra that I, that I feel of like, it is what it is, right? Okay, wait staff isn't here. Oh, I got to clean this. Oh, someone's not at the dish, you know, cleaning the dishes. It is what it is. I, I'm not going to sit and sulk and, and worry about it. The, these things need to get done, which also, I guess, maybe in combination or a byproduct is you're a very humble person for your success too as well, which I, I think is really important for anybody that has achieved success, because it can get, it's easy to lose sight of that gratitude and to be thankful for, for all of these things. And I've noticed this specifically with, with immigrants. You know, I, I ran into a chef in, I think it was Oklahoma city. His name's chef black. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's written a couple books, owns a bunch of restaurants in Oklahoma city, but he grew up in, in Jamaica. And I happened to stumble into one of his restaurants and he walked out from behind me, these two barn doors, had a laptop in his hand. It was probably nine o'clock at night on a Wednesday. And I made a quick comment like, oh, late night, huh? Do you do the books here or what? He goes, no, I own this restaurant, the one next door and the one that I just walked out of. He said, you want a tour? So I walk through, there's this beautiful glass wall uh, in the middle of the restaurant with hundreds of bottles of wine from across the world. 
And I'm like, this place looks beautiful. It looks like it's ready to open. It's like, no, my staff needs more training. People are spending a lot of money to come to this restaurant for an experience and it's going to be perfect. And I'm like, man, what is your story? Where did you come from? Like, who are you? I love this vibe that you're pushing off. And he was born in Jamaica. Family had no money to, to barely put food on the table. And he worked his way into the United States and got his big break. I'm certainly condensing down his story. And he became the head chef at the Ritz-Carlton in, in Paris. And now he owns a bunch of restaurants, but he was the most humbling, kind person. Didn't need to take me through this tour of his restaurant, but he was so proud of what he built. And it's the same thing with you. So humble and grateful for the people that have walked through your restaurant, that watch you on TV, that uh, eat your food. And that is a, a phenomenal quality to to have. Thank you, man. Yeah, I do agree. I agree. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many people trying to do what you do or that would love to do what you do. Uh, and you get the opportunity to, you know, to have it, to experience it and, and, and to make a, a life out of this, you know. I have so many friends that now after years of me living here wanted it to be out of the country and also be here. And I got, I got this opportunity for whatever reason it was. To me, it was baseball. Uh, and I know it, it, that was who, what, what pushed me out. But I'm sure life and, and God gave me the opportunity and the, and, and the tools to, you know, to be able to have what I have now. And some other people close to me and that, that, I, that I've seen maybe didn't get, get that opportunity. And everything now, when obviously at the time that I wasn't able to play baseball how I wanted to, you know, there's a period of time where you say, why not? You know, I made all the moves that I, you know, I thought, you know, were necessary to, to make it. And I didn't make it. Obviously, there's a period of time where you think, why, why not? I have everything. You know, I, I did everything that, I, that was in, in, in my power to, to make it happen. And it didn't happen. Same thing with the restaurant and, you know, same thing with some other things. But I think failure, you know, we, we have the wrong concept of that, you know. Um, it, it's, it's just, uh, it's probably just one of the steps that you need to go through to, to have something even better than what you thought you you wanted or deserved. And, and to me, it's always been like that. I always get to confirm that what happened was the best for me. And that makes me, or that should make us grateful. Yeah, I love that. It is the toll of life. That is the the pass, right? That is the the door fee, whatever you want to call it, the toll that we have to pay in order to become the person we want to become or to be successful, we need to fail. And those are to your point extremely valuable data points because if you don't fail, then how could you be in the position that you are today? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So What's on the horizon for you, right? Speaking of success, speaking of failure, speaking of just continuing to go out there and put your best foot forward, what what is the the next on the horizon for you that gets you excited every single morning? Man, I think for me is to be able to apply whatever I have learned, you know, in, in the past and whatever I'm learning now to apply it and, and take advantage of that, you know, and the restaurant is one of the things, you know, I had my restaurant for six years. There's so, much, so many things that I could have done better that I, now that I think I could have changed and, and, and maybe if I get the opportunity, I will do in a different way. And that's what keeps me excited, you know, that I have the opportunity to, I'm sure I will at some point open another place and, and, and apply all that, 
the, the knowledge or all those experiences that I had. Same thing with a show. You know, I had my first show in this platform called VIX, which is owned by Univision. That's, that's what I work now, the Univision Network. I've been working there for six years. I had the opportunity to make this show of, of you know, traveling and visiting these restaurants and chefs around the U.S. and learn from them and, and tell their stories, which are very similar to this Jamaican chef that you mentioned or very similar to my story, where we all come from a different country. We all learn from, you know, from the bottom all those positions and take all those experiences and apply it to our own business and make it successful. So I'm excited to to have the opportunity to have a second season and apply all that knowledge and make it better. Same thing with the restaurant. So and you know be able to to grow and apply all this knowledge to to my advantage, trying to get better. That to me is is what keeps me moving. Yeah, the journey of just adding blocks onto that amazing person that you were yesterday, right? Just just getting fractionally better every day has a huge compounding ROI on the back end for you as an individual and the people that are around you. Well, this has been amazing. Again, I want to be thoughtful of your time, but I'll be looking out for you opening up this restaurant because you better bet your ass, my ass is going to be on a seat in that restaurant eating some of that food. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Of course. And anytime you come you know, close to Miami, please uh, reach out. I mean, if, if I don't have my own place, I know some other places that you're going to enjoy. That will be amazing. I'll be happy to, you know, take you or, or recommend some places. I know you enjoy good food. So I'm, I'm here at any time and, and thank you for your time as well. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into IHOP dishwasher turned culinary star with Jesus Diaz. If you did, share it, shout it out on social media, or drop a rating and review. Stay connected with me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Motivated Scott. Don't forget to join me every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all, and thanks so much for listening. The Motivated Mind is a legacy division.